Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Welcome back. Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 11, Blood and Circuses. Mm -hmm. I believe that's a pun or a play on an expression. Have you heard the expression bread and circuses? No, I have not. So it was the policy of the ancient Romans, in fact. Um, they, uh, They had on their calendar something like 250 holidays a year. Because they they understood that a happy populace doesn't revolt against you. <laughs> so they had this policy of bread and circuses. So they kept their people fed and they entertained them all the time. Nerd moment of the day. <laughs> so the murder itself is ridiculous. Miss Christopher is choked to death with a rope, which they figure out later, then stabbed four times and then left with a python around her neck. And Franny says, that's overkill, which, <laughs> yeah, and, literally. You know, and, and mostly in murder mysteries, I rarely care who the murderer is, but for this one, I so didn't care that yeah. I completely forgot about it. We didn't even, I don't we even, who did it? I don't even remember. Uh, it had to do with, somehow with like Murdoch foil and the crooked cop and because there was the oh. lion tranquilizer and Miss Christopher right. was supposed to like smuggle something somewhere she was getting and paid she was in on it. extra to get her, she was going to have sex reassignment surgery. Yeah. Can you imagine getting sexual reassignment surgery in the 1920s? Oh my gosh. Oh my God. So in the morgue, they lift up the sheet and they, and Jack she shows a, that perfect deadpan uh-huh. like, oh. And she says, yes, uh, she was about to go in and have a surgery to remove the extra appendage. Appendage. That's the <laughs> word. Jack's reaction is, uh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Which I hadn't noticed the first I didn't few times. You should, it's really funny. And yeah, 1920s. Oh boy. No, 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 Hello, no, no. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So is it the cop? It um, is the cop, isn't it? I think so. I mean, the cop was about to shoot Franny. Yeah. So. Usually that means they're the murderer. I love that we always <laughs> just gloss over the plot. We're like, I, yeah, and then something happened. There I was know. a murderer. I don't I know. I don't care. Let's talk about circus tents. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about the plot in this. I mean, I never do, obviously. I never but, do either. Um, yeah, I had to really think about, like, well, who did do it? So, and then at one point they're like, okay, so the overkill was because they were trying to send a message. Who were they, who were they sending the message to? And I guess the crooked cop was trying to warn off the... Mr. Jones, the like owner, director of the theater or the investigating. Circus. Yeah, like he was trying to warn all of the other people who knew about this racket, um, don't mess with me because this is what I could do. Oh, I, I think, see. Yeah. Right? So yeah, and I guess that's why the Python was in there mm-hmm. because she knew something, right? Doreen oh, did she? Some- well, I don't know. I mean, why else would there? Or was that just to try to? I feel like it that on was Doreen. just like. Oh, had, yeah, because that did bring her into. Yeah, that the brought her didn't into seem the... to care if if she, there was suspicion on her because yeah, she did. like honey she badger just... don't care. <laughs> she just felt bad for the snake having to be stuck in a box with a dead body. I, that's yeah. <laughs> so this one has some really interesting themes going on. We get into the background behind the disappearance of Franny's sister quite right. a bit in this one. Yes, um, some and excellent flashback mm-hmm. stuff happening here. Like big, long flashbacks. Yes, not length. just the snippets we saw right. earlier in the season. They really get into it in this one. <clears throat> um, epilepsy is a, a subplot. Yep. Um, and also hermaphrodites or intersex people. I've read a little bit about this and it seems like, in a weird way, the circus was kind of a place where people who were really different, mm-hmm. not just different in their abilities or different in their background, but actually were different in a way that it was hard to hide Yeah, um, in an unaccepting society. So if you were transgender or if you were, if you exhibited signs of both genders or whatever, you could in some way find a home in the circus. Yeah. I, I think escaping to the circus makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. when you see um, how rigid life would have been. And if you fall outside of like traditional yeah whatever's forget it's, it it's going to be an awful life yeah. and so yeah i get it you escape to the circus where you're not, celebrated for yeah, how exactly and they you said are. like um the the person who dies miss <clears throat> christopher mm-hmm. 
that she wasn't tolerated there. She was respected. Right. And that is all the difference. So, yeah. I mean, yes, it would be quite an escape to go to some place where not only are you, yeah, you're, you're not what just tolerated, makes you, you are celebrated. What makes you a freak in the regular world makes you a, a star or yeah, an asset exactly. in, yeah, yeah. It still, I think, would be a really hard existence because you'd have to find a whole different framework of existence. And I think probably on some level, you would know that people are coming to see you because you're odd. Oh, I would yeah. have a hard time with that. I know. I mean, that's still, even if you are respected and celebrated, it's still because you're different. It's certainly preferable to being an outcast yeah, or yeah. bullied and just, you know, made fun of constantly, but it's still showing your difference. Yeah. And yeah, it would still be hard, but better <laughs> yeah. than the alternative. Um, there was a line that just totally haunted me that they found Miss Christopher at a brothel where they treated her so badly she'd gone dumb. And oh. ever, I know it, that's one of those lines. And I feel like there's one in each show that just sort of guts me. Yeah. Like I, it is haunting in it's one line, but you, when you think you sit there and think about it, it's just the most <laughs> horrific thing. And you think about someone like Miss Christopher, God, I mean, it's, it's great and all that she found a life in the circus, but how grim if your only, their only avenues are a brothel or joining a freak show. Yeah. I mean, that's heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. I feel like the show is good at sort of pinpointing that and Mm -hmm. they don't dwell, they don't linger, but they put it in But they don't let you forget it either. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot forget that. That was, oof. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the Green Mill murder was, or murder at the Green Mill, um, was one that talked a lot about differences and uh, being not accepted. And well, because you had the homosexual characters and you You had had the interracial marriage. Interracial marriage. And yeah, there was a lot of different, you know, differentness in that one. And I think this one kind of comes back to those themes as well. Mm -hmm. I think an interesting character in this is Mr. Sampson or Sam, Mm -hmm. who looks normal normal he looks ordinary he looks average until you put him up against another person and you see that he's enormous he he's, he's got to be seven feet tall at least and, yeah and i okay i'm gonna go on my menswear bent oh, for, yep, again okay. and i could not get over how impeccably tailored he was and yeah. he is so well dressed he's got that mm-hmm. gray waistcoat i mean he actually i think rivals jack in this for <laughs> for dapperness I think and there's a yeah, scene where they're he, they're talking to each other in Jack's office and it's like this understated menswear palooza. It's that's so funny. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> I I think that is the scene where they they start it with um a shot looking down at Jack from basically Samson's point of view. Huh. And Jack is obviously really uh dwarfed by this guy. Yeah, yeah. like he it is not lost on him how short he appears yeah. to this man. And Jack's um, not short. He's probably no, he's six not. feet. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's probably a really rare thing that he's experiencing, and he's definitely caught off guard by it. And yeah. I love that they show it from that angle. Yeah. That is great. And I guess, I'm guessing that he also assumes Sam is one of her old friends, which we never really... Oh, old, old friends. Yeah, quote, 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 old friend. Yeah. Um, and I don't get the sense that they uh, it's kind of hard to say it's uncl- I, you know I was thinking about this and I would vote no yeah because uh, I mean I think they are very close friends because she obviously trusts him he knows mm-hmm. her whole story and then we find out why because mm-hmm. he was there but I would think that that alone would dredge up too many painful memories for her I, I don't think she'd want to have an intimate relationship with this guy because yeah I think it'd be too painful I think that they're just friends i think they are true old friends yeah um but jack doesn't know that no and jack has had enough experience with <laughs> Franny's other old friends yeah you know sam's a good looking guy mm-hmm. he's you know there's a scene where he's sitting in Franny's parlor and jane brings him a mug of beer and it's so funny because jane has to hold it with both hands it's so <laughs> huge compared to her scale and then she hands it to him and he it looks like a pint glass That's in his so hands funny. but it's gotta be you know it's gotta be like a double pint glass or something it's right huge. like a stein of yeah. beer yeah it looks and like it, a little thimble it looks like a coffee mug <laughs> in his hand <laughs> i looked him up on imdb to see what else he'd been in oh. um and he was in an x-men movie i can't remember which one so that's like a marvel comics 
movie. X, um, X-Men. Oh, X-Men. Like, not, oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, you said X-Men and my brain heard X-Files and I'm oh. thinking like, I don't remember him being in the X-Files. Yeah, I would have remembered that. But I can see him in the X-Men because they, yeah. you know, it's sort of like the circus. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he'd been in a couple other things that I didn't recognize, but mm. he definitely stands out. Oh, yeah. And he was just, he had a really nice presence too. Yeah. Like I, he was, was, he was a very trustworthy character. I have some friends who are big, big guys and they're all sweethearts. There's no huh. really big jerks. I've never met a really big jerk. I, I'm sure people <laughs> have good. had other experiences, but <laughs> that is my theory and I am sticking to it. Okay. All right. So like if theory. you had to befriend anybody at the circus, go for the, go for the strong man. This circus seemed, um, unusually egalitarian. In that yeah. everyone was paid the same, regardless I of... I noted that. I wrote that down. And it feels unusual to me. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, these circuses kind of followed their own rules, and they had their own social strata, and they had their... Like you said, they had their own social hierarchies. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like they were little societies yeah. in and of themselves. And if you think of... Especially the traveling circuses, I mean, these people spent their whole lives together in close quarters. Um traveling everywhere i actually did some digging on circuses that was my the thing the thing i did digging on this time (laughs) um if you're interested i am um so circuses have been a thing in the kind of the english-speaking world since the late 1700s they were invented in london and it was based on the roman idea of circuses that's where they got the round shape and actually the round shape was really innovative because it allowed for spectators to sit anywhere so Hmm. it wasn't like a theater okay like in a theater, even with like a proscenium stage, there is theater in the round, but for the mm-hmm. most part, like the audience is on one half. Right. But with a circus, you could pack people in there and they could see the action from all angles. But the other thing was the circuit, because um, most early circuses in particular did a lot of horse acts, and apparently um, Australian circuses were especially known for equestrian feats. And I think because Australia has a long history of like horse horsemanship, horse hmm. farms, horse people. Okay. Um, because of that horsemanship element, the circus allowed the horses to be able to build up speed by going around and around oh. and around, and so it allowed for a lot of the tricks to happen because it would right. you know, deal with like centripetal force yep. or um, just being able to have the room to maneuver, which you can't do so well in a box. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really interesting part of it. But um, so the golden age of circuses in Australia was was like a hundred years. It was like the 1850s through the 1960s. It was this long, long period, much longer than, you know, circuses really fell out of favor in the U.S. after the Great Depression. Um, There was, of course, Ringling Brothers, but there used to be a ton of like little, little circuses, little independent circuses that traveled all around. And especially in the 1920s and 30s, um, it was a huge thing during the Great Depression. There were a lot of people who couldn't find work elsewhere would join a circus and Mm get work as a roustabout or whatever. It was kind of the last, I don't know, not guaranteed, but last kind of more easy job that you could get. But they really fell out of favor after that because, you know, the war hit and then there were all these instances of like animal cruelty or animals escaping or people not being able to feed their circus people anymore. So they let the animals just go. I mean, horrible stories during the depression, but in Australia, it was different. They, um, they tended to travel a lot, like a lot of circuses did in the beginning, um, and there, I was reading stories of like how when these circus trains would roll out or these circus caravans, how wild kangaroos would come out of the bush and follow them. No way. And I have no idea why, like if they were attracted to it or what, but they'd have these kind of trains of I kangaroos. I love that idea. Them. That's a really fun mental <laughs> I image. No, isn't getting. that great? Huh. Um, and but apparently after World War One, which is the period that Franny's dealing with here, after World War One, um, wagon circuses kind of fell out of favor, and I think a lot of it was because people were drafted. It was harder to get international performers because of the war, hmm. um, and I, I think also money was an issue as well. Yeah. So most of the circuses that remained after World War One were permanent circuses. They didn't travel, and hmm. I think the one that's in this episode is a permanent circus. It doesn't okay. look like they travel around. It looks like they have a spot there. Yeah. And that's where they perform. Um, I also just love the visual of circus tents. The stripes are... Totally. And, uh, and yeah. in this episode, they have an angle 
where they're like showing you the circus and the the angle is just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like you have all the tents and you have those. Are old you talking about signs. that kind of aerial one where it's half matte painting and you can see like a matte painting of an elephant back there? I th- yeah, yeah. They do it a few different times, and I just love every single yeah. one. Well, I love that, so... that scene that shot inside Miss Christopher's tent, and it's kind of a yellow striped mm-hmm. tent, and the light in there is just beautiful. I just I kind of went gaga over that yeah. scene. It's really lovely. Just for cinematography alone, I really like this episode. Yeah. And then you have the um, the yellow and red stripes, and mm-hmm. those are really nice. They they kind of use that with a color palette. Lots Primary of, colors. There's a lot of red, I think, in this episode. Yeah. I can't remember now what that was, but I feel like it comes well, out. Well, like the 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 knife wield is has a lot of red on it, I think, and um, and of course the dis- the the box where yeah. Miss Christopher is murdered is red is lined mm-hmm. with red. I don't know, looks like faux fur or something, but <laughs> you know, some sort of plush velvet. Um, yeah, I think red is a big circus color, and and also black. A lot of because mm-hmm. you know the big tops are dark except for where the spotlights are and um i don't know there's just something really captivating about captivating and creepy yeah like i'm always saying i'm gonna make like a a mix like a music mix of creepy circus music because there's <laughs> tons of it out there it's surreal it is and, and like using like the calliopes and the celesta and all these other weird kind of mm-hmm. circusy instruments but it, it's just fascinating i went to my first circus when i was Eight. For my eighth birthday, my parents took me to the Ringling Brothers in Boston. <laughs> it was at the old Boston Garden, and that was just such a memorable day. That's really and cool. Now, like, I'm horrified by things like circus elephants and circus animals and all this yeah. stuff. But, but I still like I love Cirque du Soleil because there's you know it's all people. Mm-hmm. Okay, plot time. Hugh gets shot. <laughs> I know. Although technically, well, he kind of shot himself. He shot himself. <laughs> so that. Brings me to one of my favorite side characters of all oh, of the entire the show. The mom, right? The Elsie Tizard. Yes. yes. The the mom of the dude in the grease paint and who yeah. is so creepy in he, that. He in is that very creepy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love her so much. She is such a phenomenal character. Mm-hmm. And I love the rapport she has with Jack. I know. I love that's so endearing mm-hmm. that here's this you know, this old sop of a woman and She's probably completely ignored by almost everybody. Oh, there's the old drunk Elsie again. Mm-hmm. And um, but Jack is not only kind to her; he actually is. He respects her. Yeah, he really does. Yeah, I'm trying to find the uh, thing he says to Miss Parks. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, my apologies for the roommate. Underneath the alcoholic vapor, there's a woman of considerable intellect and wit. Unfortunately, waiting for her to reveal herself isn't going to be pretty. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, he really um, respects her and likes her and takes the time to let another person know, like, this is actually a really awesome human being. Yeah. Now, I often get this episode <clears throat> that the scene with, where Hugh gets shot in the leg, hoist by his own petard, um, <laughs> that scene I, I often confuse with, I think it's in the second season, the strong the the fight the fight it's like a fight circus oh, kind yeah. of mm-hmm. like the um with the bouts and everything mm-hmm. and that street fight where someone gets where the cop gets stabbed by that distinctive knife right it probably happens in the exact same it probably is so. yeah <laughs> which is probably also the same alley where where she climbs up a drain pipe in I think so. And murder in the Green Mill, and it's probably the yeah, same alley. It's the same alley in every episode where <laughs> yeah. they need an alley. Apparently, so, they only have one alley in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand how you could get them confused. Yeah, but it's a kind of a similar scene too. Like there's mm-hmm. this, there's a lot of different cops, and there's kind of a melee in mm-hmm. the in the in alley. The dark, and, yeah, and, yeah. And Hugh gets mixed up in it. Well, he doesn't get mixed up in the original fight, but he he tells the story to Dot. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about this later when yeah. we get to that episode. But yeah, so I keep getting when I when I think about it, I had to watch that scene again because I kept getting details mixed up with that other episode. I love the bit where Dot comes down to the station after <laughs> Hugh has been shot, and and she just goes into full on I'm 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 your mom and I'm gonna open a can of whip ass right now and she says I don't know whether to hug you or slap you and Hugh says do I get a vote I love that line so much yeah his, and she his just face. tells off the sergeant yeah she really tells him off yeah that guy is so he is sleazeball and I I 
I I get kind of mad at Hugh because he kind of immediately falls into that good old boy, mm-hmm. you know, and then Jack puts him in his place when he has a drink with him and he's like, if I ever catch you drinking on duty again, I, I yeah. mean, bravo Jack. But I'm like, Hugh, come on. Are you that dumb that you fell into that after what, five minutes with this guy? Right. I thought more of Hugh, but you know, I think it would have been tempting. Peer also, pressure. I love that this is the only episode where there's like another cop in that office. Yeah. <laughs> at no other time yeah. does any other police officer it's the, work. It's the precinct run by two guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but suddenly Sergeant Grossman. And apparently there, the only Grossman. other the and have you noticed that on the rare occasion <clears throat> that there are other cops in the show, they're all crooked? Right, yeah. <laughs> they're like so I guess Hugh good for and nothing Jack cops. are the only two straight cops in this entire in city. Yeah. Which, you know, could be. But Yeah, you never know. <laughs> Yeah. I love that scene where Dot and Phryne are playing dress up. Yes. To figure out her alter ego. I love that scene. I have a question though. Why does she own so many garments with feathers? <gasps> feathers, fur, <laughs> wigs. <laughs> I mean, she wasn't always a crime fighter, like a detective crime fighter lady. What is she doing with all these crazy yeah. wigs and stuff? Yeah. It's an alarming number of possibilities. And then the one that she lands on is amazing. Why does she own that? I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, It's pretty great. And when she does that spin, oh my goodness, that slit in the skirt, it goes like really, really high. Yep. Really high. Yep. And I love Sam's response too. She's like, do you think it's too much? And he he gives this wonderful grin. And he's like, that's just enough. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it reminded me of a figure skating outfit. Yes. Um, When I was a kid, I was a figure skater. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I switched to hockey before things got too serious, but uh, (laughs) because hockey was much more my speed, but but I just remember, and you always had like modesty panels, and you couldn't ever have bare arms for whatever reason. So you'd always have this like sheer flesh color, only Caucasian flesh colored, of course, of course. like yeah. flesh colored, weird nylon stuff that was weirdly always the wrong color, no matter what shade you were. <laughs> like it was always the wrong. It was like band aids. How band aids are right. always like nobody is that color. <laughs> <laughs> So as soon as I saw her in that outfit, I'm like, oh, figure skating flashbacks. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's a total figure skating costume. <laughs> and then that she flashes Jack in his office. Oh, yeah. So With, good. And, and then the classic trench coat, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the flasher's MO is to wear a trench coat. He so. should have been suspicious as soon as he saw her in that thing. Oh. Now, I can't remember. Do we get an eyebrow? Do we get a gulp? Do we get I think there's a, a partial gulp. Yeah. And a, just like he's so clearly caught off guard and does not know what to do. He can't he should process. really know by now. Yeah. And I love that she like, she does it to him, you know? Oh, like, yeah. She, she knows subtle. she can get a rise she out is, of him anytime yep. she wants. And she is full of surprises <laughs> at all times. Yeah. I think much like when she pulled the little stiletto out of her garter, he is not erasing this. see that. Yeah. <laughs> this is in his brain permanently well and that wig that she wears just cracks me up i love that bra- and her accent yeah, i fern. love that she puts on this kind of stereotypical at least to an american it sounds like a stereotypical australian accent like a kind of a lower lower class accent it'd be sort of like the equivalent to cockney in, yeah. in english that's I think. how i was thinking of it the australian cockney yeah i love that she can just turn that on and we mm-hmm. haven't really heard that so much not since the what, first one the I first think. one i think where she's in the alley yeah. posing as a prostitute yep. and she puts she just turns on that accent on a whim and i think that's i don't know that that's where i think of course it's friny but i also think essie davis like i feel like Essie Davis really comes through there, yep. and that's her real talent. She's quite a chameleon. Okay, so back to the costumes. Okay. So she finds that awesome costume, and I was sort of, like, irritated on her behalf when they make her change into a different one at the circus. Because the yeah. magician's like, go and, you know, have so-and-so find you something better to yeah, wear. Yeah, like, that's her street clothes. Right. Like, yeah, I go to the it's grocery like, store perfect. wearing my figure skating leotard. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not on theme. Maybe that's why they make her change. But... I found out something really interesting about that costume, the one that she wears when she's when she's the tied knife to the knife, the knife girl, yeah, yeah, the knife girl. So the costume is was done originally for a 1980s variety show <laughs> <laughs> called the Saturday Show, um, and it was filmed at that same studio, the ABC studio. And so they just had it. In they their, had it oh, in their like department, their costume so department. So they reused it. It's like thirty for the year show. old. Yeah, exactly. Did so, you ever see Strictly Ballroom? Yes. 
that's one of my favorite movies yes. of all time. I love that and movie. And that movie came out when I was still a figure skater. So there's a lot of like oh, a wow. lot of the politics that happen in there. Are, sure. Like also happen in Accurate. figure skating. So even <laughs> though I was a kid at the time, I was like, oh, I totally get this. That's so funny. But that outfit that she and it's funny that you said it was from an 80s thing because I mean strictly ballroom was like 1992 but yeah it's basically 80s and their ballroom outfits and their hair and that just reminds me of that outfit that she has to wear yes. when she's the knife girl oh, that's funny <laughs> I just yep. really want to see her with the wall bangs and the sequins like glued to the wall bangs <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I want funny. Ken Railings to walk in here right now <laughs> <laughs> so um I found that out um they are actually moving the studio so that was the elsternwick studio in huh. melbourne which they're shutting down they're going to sell the building they're moving oh. the studio to different locations so they were doing kind of like a final tour of yeah. what they called the dream factory like the staff that worked there called it the dream factory because wow. they have anything you can possibly imagine well yeah if it's on, been there a long time they yeah like the these amazing resources yeah, yeah they can do anything and they were talking about all the stars that came out of that studio um, wow. who are now like globally famous. Um, Hugh Jackman, I think was one of them too. Oh, so it was a really interesting article, but also in one of the pictures, they had a wolf costume. Really? Yeah. And it was the wolf costume they use in, in the final in murder in the dark. Oh, yeah. And they did that thing is terrifying, it is terrifying. The and they just is, have it on a mannequin in this thing. And you're still like, terrifying. Ugh. so I can't, they didn't even say what it had been used for. It looks for. very old. It actually looks yeah. much older. It looked kind of vintage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's because it had been used for something. Before my husband actually got into the show, I actually rewatched the first season with him so that he could get into it because he mm-hmm. kept walking in on me watching it and he'd be like, <laughs> what is the show? And one of the first things he walked in on was the scene with that wolf costume. He was like, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> really? That's terrifying. That's so funny. Yes, it is terrifying. But the first of the, the two-parter um, is honestly oh, yeah. really scary. Like and- circuses, fairy tales have this double-edged, like yeah. charming and terrifying. And if you read the original Little Red Riding Hood, it's so creepy it and is awful. really and, creepy. You know, get into bed with the creepy pedophile wolf guy and... <laughs> It's the same thing with circuses. Like, it's both, like, wonderful and magical and creepy. And this same thing with fairy tales. Like, there's just, like, come, you know. Because I think, I mean, it is, it's, because it's surreal, it's, like, riding that line between reality and fantasy. And that's what makes it so scary. And I think some of the most successful children's stuff is scary. Yeah. Like, Harry Potter, it can be terrifying. Mm -hmm. There's some really scary stuff in there. There is. Roald Dahl is creepy and really dark and I think it's wonderful like I hate the saccharine kitty stuff I I have no stomach for that but I love the kind of dark stuff so yeah yeah yeah, Little Red Riding Hood and the that god that wolf yeah it is really terrifying I'm so excited I'm so excited to talk oh yeah about that episode and we're like we're right up to it aren't we isn't that the next one one. oh my gosh I'm so excited (laughs) yay and season two like I I yeah this show is so fun to talk about. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to only get more fun. Yeah. So, yay. Oh, man. <laughs> so, the very end scene with Foil as Ringmaster is so well done. It yeah. is so good and creepy. And you Super creepy. don't really know who's voice is. I mean, talk about is. dark, creepy circus uh-huh. business with like the calliope music. and They take full advantage of those spotlights mm-hmm. and don't show you the face until the very and end. And turns around and there's that voiceover. But I feel this is interesting, too, because I think this is the only one that, A, has any sort of coda at mm-hmm. the end of the episode. We don't have Other that in Other than, like, uh, Nightcap. <laughs> But that's but different. That's, this is even after kind of the sort of nightcappy placeholder. Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is like this is like a true coda. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the only one that does that. And it's also, I think, the only one where anybody breaks the fourth wall mm-hmm. because Murdoch Foyle is talking to you, the viewer, in the style of like those old radio shows, like "Tune in next time." Will uh-huh. our heroes make the blah blah blah? And <laughs> except really dark and creepy and. It's yeah. unsettling. It really is. Yeah. And also, it kind of leaves it up in the air as to um, whether he's alive or not, which I thought that was really well done because you could kind of, like, you can go either way. Like, is, is he, he talking from 
the other world or or as he just left a big mess for them to clean up and that's what's terrifying i remember when i watched this episode with my husband it was late at night <laughs> and he also doesn't like scary stuff like even probably even less than i do now um but he he was doing okay until the end of that that last scene and he was like oh my god well i can't go to bed after this like you have to put on and i'm like honey it's only gonna get worse after this so i'm oh, yeah, like you think that's one. creepy yep. don't watch the next one the next one is before the bed. absolute height of creepiness yeah yeah, yeah. that's and really he's, funny he's like why didn't you tell me <laughs> it's such a good setup for the next episode too it's just so it is dark and it yeah it leaves you wondering and, and oh he's so creepy that whole character murdoch foyle's character is so well done and he's so terrifying um because he's not your basic baddie he's not like your gross dirty right. prison guy like he's educated and mm-hmm. well-dressed and eloquent and has yeah. beautiful penmanship quiet oh the penman oh yeah we, we talked, talked about, about this time, yeah yeah no like it makes him all the scarier he's because, refined and also his motives are really crazy he's like completely not, unhinged it's not a it's not your typical motive right he's not you think he's well it's sort of i think of him at like hannibal lecter he even yeah. sort of looks like anthony hopkins oh my gosh, in a way does. it's like ah. hannibal lecter is this erudite suave genteel man who eats people you know just happens yeah no big deal yeah 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 and this guy is like he believes that he's gonna be resurrected (laughs) in the afterlife that's true they are really similar anthony hopkins yeah no he's really scary he's a really good and creepy villain complex in a way that most villains are not um but yeah the way they they use that at the very end of this episode is really well done yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay what else can we talk about with this one though i feel Um, like i still have a bunch there is a line that jack says to Franny in his office where he says um uh, she, she, I can't remember about the setup. She, she's mad at him because he's not taking Sam seriously, I think. And she says, well, you know, is it because he's not rich and famous that you're not taking him seriously? And he says, in fact, we generally leave the rich and famous to people like you, which is true. Like she's usually the one infiltrating like the high society That's functions. True. And well, and I feel like sometimes he, he calls on her specifically for that. Yeah. Um, because she can, she has a way in that he doesn't really right they're gonna be suspicious of him because he's a cop yep he can't fit in in the way that she can and i mean i think we've discussed this before but that's part of the fun with her character is that she can go to any level and work it yeah and that's the thing she doesn't just have to work with the rich and famous because she can obviously infiltrate a circus which are Mm -hmm. notoriously suspicious of outsiders and um anyone who's not part of the fold right and she can even blend in there yeah. By wearing a ridiculous outfit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another creep. Like, there's a lot of, like, creepy people in this. Even the crooked cop has his kind of creepy moment at the end. Um, the snake charmer, Doreen. Doreen. Oh, my God. I love her. She She's is so bizarre. I would not want to be alone with her in a room. She is disturbing, but Hard in a really bitten, like fascinating way. Oh, man. The um the dress that she wears when she's working the like peep show booth, it's this oh. long gown and it's kind of silver sequins that are partly worn off in places. Yeah, so it totally looks like threadbare. Yeah, but I think it's supposed to be that way and it looks very snake like. And I, I didn't even love think it. Of, that's great. And she she's really muscular. Mm-hmm. Like snakes are really muscular, so she's kind of the perfect snake lady. Yeah, she's got the dark coal lined eyes oh. and it's i really like her like she is creepy and yes i yeah, probably would not i definitely would not put away wet like <laughs> she is, i don't want to be alone in a room with her or no. be on her bad side no but i really like her as a character yeah and you know and of course of course there's the whole backstory with the flashbacks to jane and so there we get creepy people in murdoch foil and mm-hmm. Um, and and the the escape, which we don't really find out about till later, but we find out we f- we think he's dead. Yeah, and we um, is that in this episode or is that it is episode? like halfway through the episode, they talk about a fight that happened in the prison, and it was Elsie Tizard's son who 
reportedly died in that fight right. with the other prisoner who was who Foyle. Is Murdoch Foyle. Oh, but then I think we find out that he escaped, right? Yeah, because... Because she's at the circus. And yeah. And the, the Jack finds out that... Elsie's son is at the circus, who is also really creepy with that face with makeup the, and yeah. everything. So, so Franny is at the circus while Jack is finding out that Foyle escaped. Because mm-hmm. Hugh tells him, oh yeah, it was a prisoner named Foyle. And then he stops and he's, he's like, like what? wait, Murdoch Foyle? So yeah, the connection is being made while she's at the circus. So really then we're terrifying. like, oh, no. And confronting the guy with the gun. And, yep. But I think it's really interesting that even though as scary as he is, that guy, we have this really touching scene where he's reunited with Elsie. Yeah. In the jail cell. And it, it is really touching. And she's so proud of him. Um, she's telling Amelia Parks, who's in there with her, like, let me tell you about my son. He's, I think he's been through some rough times, but he's a good sort or something like that. She says something really sweet, like, yeah, 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 he's, he's a criminal. <laughs> it's so but. funny because you think about like Aunt P, who is not Franny's mother, but she's kind of the closest thing she has left to a mother figure. Mm-hmm. And she's like never proud of Franny ever. No right. matter what she does, she's never proud of her. And then we have Elsie, who is... Her son's a total criminal. and <laughs> But she loves him and yeah. he's a sweetheart. And I love, it is actually really sweet when she says she's convinced that he's out and he's the one who came by her place. And Jack's like, no, that can't be. He's been locked up for years. She says, who else is going to leave me a bag of me favorite sweets and take the family pictures from under the mattress? So sweet. Like yeah. he busts out of jail and brings his mom candy. I love it. <laughs> and, and, you can, and Jack's reaction shot is really funny because he's like, huh. That's a good point in his Yeah, head. I love that she has total faith in him. Like, mm-hmm. she's kind of addled by drink and everything, and she's like, nope, can't, he can't be dead, because, yep. you know. And we have a thousand reasons why she has to be wrong. But then there are, like, little niggling doubts that happen. Yeah. And then he even calls and confirms and finds out that he is supposedly dead, yeah. tells Elsie. And Elsie's She like, still doesn't really nope. believe it. Yep. Yeah. And um, and then in the end, she it's, was right. It's such a great scene. I, I really love that. And I love how emotional he gets. Yeah. He's a pretty hard-bitten guy. I but know. He but he melts into a puddle mom. with his mom. And yeah. he says, well, I'm back in the big house or something. Like, I'm back to jail. And she says, I never thought I'd be so happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's really sweet, that it's relationship that she has. And, and I think it's just, it humanizes her. It humanizes him, even though he's a criminal and we're supposed to put him on the bad guy list, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate that they write these scenes in there because it, no one's just bad or good. Film, TV, like anything well, you see. Yeah, like, it's always this, like... There's no gray area. It's always, like, they are bad or good. And it feels so different to have people presented in different ways and to see that they have different layers and that they are human. And, mm-hmm. you know, even the heroes have flaws and the bad guys are not just bad. They love their moms. This is neither here nor there, but I really love that scene in the flash, the, the, the lengthy flashback that we have of Jane's, her sister Jane's mm-hmm. disappearance. You can tell it's a flashback, not just because of the music and everything, but also uh, the color has been tweaked. So it's not quite black and white. It's almost like a sepia tone or the colors have been really dull, desaturated, yeah. except for the hair ribbons. The hair ribbons are very blue, very saturated, and they really stand out. Your eye goes right to them, and That's then right. they don't even—they don't even tell you. You just remember those hair ribbons from earlier in the series, mm-hmm. and I think that's a brilliant way of handling that. It really is. Yeah, it's really subtle, but there's so much importance placed on those hair ribbons yeah. in the first season. That yeah, that's a and perfect it's sort way of, of the only. It. I mean, I think as humans, we need artifacts we need objects humans mm-hmm. always surround themselves with objects and souvenirs and things like that and so the that hair ribbon is the only thing franny has left of her sister it's become yep. almost become like a fetish yeah for her which i think is it's a good setup for the very last episode where it's all about fetishes and mm-hmm. um you know religious objects and idolatry and things like that i think it's a really interesting that's true play on that huh i hadn't thought about that but i could right. be just making this stuff up no, I, like <laughs> that. I think that's that's a good connection so how do you think they handle okay i'm of two minds with the whole vanishing box thing like mm. the box that is used yeah um both as like the crime scene because yeah. that's where the murder is revealed right within that box but it's also supposedly the thing that was going on when jane when disappeared. jane disappeared now you see her now you don't which yep. is interesting yeah and yeah. then Franny, 
makes a journey into that box and is that's where she's remembering yeah. the, the incident. I think that's a really interesting scene because I think there I think we I think we'd all do that. Even though we know it's she's not in there. Right. It's been twenty years or whatever it is. She's not in there. But I think maybe it's some, some search for closure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, like, she wasn't I mean, she's right there, she should do it and just look, even though it's obvious that her sister's not gonna be there, but like how can she go home knowing that she was so close to the box right. and didn't actually check right. it? I think that's how it would almost be automatic. I yeah. think yeah. But the box, like I, I guess part of me likes how they handled the box and use that as like the instrument or sort of the device that brought up all of these memories. Right. But then I also find it kind of gimmicky. So I don't know. I'm kind of like right on the edge. I'm into symbolism and devices and things. I I vote yes. Mm. I think that's a good device to to kind of show that now you see him, now you don't, except it's terrifying because it's not a trick. Right. She really is gone. I don't know. Maybe my cranky moments, I'm like, no, gimmicky. But generally, I think that was a really good way to handle it. I tend to forgive cheesy things on this show (laughs) a lot more readily. Yeah, I do too. I mean, this show has a a level of camp that I am good with and But I feel like, I think even if if the, 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 the box was a little bit much, I feel like using the circus as the entire vehicle for that is a really interesting choice. I think mm-hmm. the whole artifice of it and and the mystery and the magic of it and everything and also the underlying kind of darkness and not just like how creepy circuses can be, but also like how brutal they were to right. the people who, um, who worked them. And um, I love that there's this little scene where they're, th- she walks past these guys who are painting stripes on a, on the, zine, on the pony. Or on the pony. Or <laughs> yeah. like on a donkey or something. Yeah. I love that. That, that was, was really such funny. A great, and it's yeah. just like this tiny little moment. And you're like, hey, wait. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, clever. I mean, that, this is so much what it was. Like the, the freak show, like you pay your, your dime or whatever to go in there to see like what turns out to be like an upside down, like fetal cow or something. Right. Or, or, and, you know, and they're like, what is it? Well, it's a fetal cow. It's upside down. <laughs> but, but there was a lot of that. There was the smoke and mirrors and, and. They, this build up to sell a product that didn't turn out to be much, right. but it, it was the story behind it that got people's interest. Yeah. And, but I think there also there was a lot of brutality. There was you know the the cruelty to animals Ugh, that, yeah. and, but and also cruelty to humans. You talked about like the strata and these circuses. There there was a term called um, red lighting. So if you've ever heard the term red lighting a project, which is you know putting the kibosh to a project, mm-hmm. you hear it a lot in Hollywood. Yeah. But that term came from. Apparently, if I read, if I did my research right, the the term apparently came from this horrible practice of when circuses traveled by rail, sometimes they would just make people disappear by um, when they'd come to like a, a anywhere where there is like a red warning light for the train about to go over like a bridge or something, they would push people off the train and they called it red lighting. And they would just make the person disappear. Whoa. And sometimes they'd survive and they'd be stuck in the middle of nowhere, injured or whatever. But some, but most of the time it would kill Whoa. them. Yeah. Or if times got tough and... Yeah, they couldn't feed everybody. Yeah. And so they would just... And they would go to the whoever was lowest on the rung, like, or people who'd been with the circuses their whole lives and maybe they grew old and they couldn't work anymore and they were now a drain on the circus or didn't exactly offer retirement. Right. And I just... It's terrifying. It's like that is, horrifying to think is. of if that if that really it's happened. It's really Darwinian. Yeah, <gasps> yeah. Yikes! Pretty like brutal, cutthroat uh-huh. world. So for as much as, I, and I'm sure they didn't all do that. I'm sure maybe you know if that really happened that. It, so you escape to the circus because your day to day life is so awful because you are or you're a in freak or you're or you need money or. Right. You have a third arm or... Right. Or, <laughs> you know, like, whatever. choose anything, basically. Right. You're different. And so it's an escape. On one hand, you have to work really hard and you have to do exactly what you're told there, but then your day-to-day life will be okay. Right. Until... Until it isn't anymore. <laughs> right. It's like the mafia. Yeah. You know, like, wow. if you're in, you're in and you're part Ugh. of the family, but don't cross them. Exactly. Or don't cease Man, to be useful. Brutal. Right. Yeah. I only made one, I only made a couple of costume notes other than her, other than the dress up thing and the, the circus stuff. She has this beautiful um, green silk patterned blouse that she wears under a black or navy blue jacket slash sweater slash sort of blazer huh. thing. And a, and Which a, scene? When, um, well, she's wearing just the blouse and without the jacket when 
Sam shows up at her house oh. and then they go out together and she's wearing this, yes. you know, her straw, her black straw hat with the curved feather. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So when they, yeah, when they go to Jack's office. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So sort of this like rich flapper lady, contempo <gasps> casual. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I... I um, was really excited to see the first appearance of the white velvet beaded dress. Yes. I Yeah, I wrote that down too, that, yeah, that's really beautiful. It is. And I hadn't, so she wears it in the Queenscliff episode. Mm. Um, why am I blanking on the name of that? Oh, I I never remember any of the names. You I all, totally know. So yeah, I always that. know the names and it's not in my head at all. Sorry. It's the Queenscliff <laughs> episode. But yeah. yeah, she wears that dress when Jack first appears and they're having... Well, he's having tea and she's having champagne in her room. And right. I, yeah, and she's like draped she's across again, the Again, storing things in her bra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that dress is sort of like the focal point, I think, of that scene. It's just so stunning. So I was really excited to see that she had worn it before. Yeah. It was this episode. Yeah. But it is gorgeous, that dress. Oh, and the I velvet know. gives she it this. She looks so good in white. Maybe it's the black yeah. hair. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, her pale skin, you wouldn't think it would work, but it really, it really does. does. It's really dramatic. She's got the build for it. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yep. That is a stunning dress. Oh, man. So, yeah, I was really excited to see that. You know, I think the only other thing I have written down here is the um, the the gal who, what is her name? The suspect who is locked up with Elsie Tizard. Oh, Amelia Parks. Amelia Parks, who has epilepsy. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting how she just assumes, well, I must have done it, or you're here to arrest mm-hmm. me. She doesn't put up a fight. And of course, the bad cop is like, you know what you're in for, eh? Yeah. You know. Yeah, she submits immediately when Hugh brings out the cuffs, and he just assumes it's because she knows she's guilty. Right. And she's just like, I don't want to, I don't want the fight. Like, you're going to do this anyway. Why don't we just um, get it over and with? And what she's actually feeling guilty for is the death of her husband because yeah. she couldn't. She couldn't do she her couldn't, part. Yeah. Man, an epileptic acrobat. That's <laughs> probably not the best combination. Nope. Pretty bad. I thought it was really interesting how she phrased it. She says, I lose my grip on things. Mm. And that is when she's having a fit. That's what Describes she calls it. it. Yeah, yeah. I lose my grip on things, which I guess technically she she did with her husband and acrobatics. Yeah. But, oh, God. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I hadn't really put that together until just now that that was literal. I think it's really touching how she is kind of at the her low point in that jail cell, mm-hmm. and she saves that steak knife with the intention of committing suicide. And Elsie knows, ex- even though she is deep in the middle of her stupor, sleeping it off mm-hmm. at that point, she knows exactly what's going on, and she stops her. Yeah, I, I she think, saves her, basically. Yeah, I think that's an incredible scene and how you know these two women kind of have this rapport yeah they really bond in that cell this show is so good on the female bonding it really is like it's the Alison Bechdel test is so passed with flying color so many times like there's so many like there's just never time given to that because it it's not the main plot because the main plot's always about a dude doing some dude thing that's important and so the right. women are just like just or, there or to they're support. rehashing like what the dude did yes. and will the dude go out with me or so will the dude no time yeah. given to female relationships right other than like cattiness yeah yeah so yeah i think that's what i love is they give it so much time yeah and and there's so many examples in this show of like women in mentorship roles mm-hmm. to other women even really unlikely pairings like elsie <laughs> and yeah amelia and amelia here. right yeah, it's true. And and also I think of men looking up to women, like Jack respecting Elsie and mm-hmm. Hugh respecting Phryne. Hugh is Hugh is on the Phryne train so much earlier than Jack is in yeah. this, like he is from the first, at the first moment we meet them together, he was writing stuff down that this <laughs> random stranger lady is, is right. deducing about the crime scene. And Jack's like, what are you doing? And yet he is, Hugh is a lot less um, okay with her modern lifestyle than right. Jack is. Right, and he, it's funny, he looks up to Phryne, but he's, he's like not okay for a long time with Dot emulating her. Yeah. It's like, well, it's one thing for her to do it, but Dot, right? I, you know. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be better served making muffins or what, whatever? <laughs> Playing it safe, basically. Like, don't go out on any yeah. limb. Like, he feels this need to be the does. gallant protector of yeah. Dot. Even though she shows. Friday's whole message is we don't actually need protectors. Thanks. Yeah. And Dot proves that over and over again. 
when sometimes she does Hugh's job better than he does. Yeah. Oh, one last little detail. Um, shout out for my husband. My husband um, collects clocks. I have as noted you know, this. As our listeners have probably heard <laughs> on the show. They are all not quiet clocks either. No. I, I, <laughs> not podcast-friendly clocks. And I not so secretly loathe them. <laughs> I don't do well with ambient oh, noise. I don't shut it out very well. So I never quite get used to them. And so there, I kind of have a... My studio is where I work is a clock-free zone. Um, <laughs> but one of the ones that we have, actually one of the few that I like because it's far away and I don't have to hear it that often uh, we have a german mantle clock that is almost identical to the one in jack's office oh wow and um it's it's it was made at the same time it was made between the wars very art deco looking it's very similar shape and it has a very deep chime hmm. so as soon as we saw that man, uh, my husband was like that's like our clock is made <laughs> made in germany between the wars <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah and it's beautiful it's got like curved wood and I mean, it's a really lovely piece. I don't even like clocks, and I like that clock. So I love that Jack has one. I kind of feel like it's like that clock is like the Kevin Bacon of the show for me. I'm like, I'm one degree closer. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the Kevin to Bacon Nathan clock. Page. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. How could I forget this? So Carrie Greenwood has a cameo oh, right. in this episode. She is in the scene where they come to arrest Amelia Parks. Right, and she's so, the fortune teller, yeah. right? Yeah. And so they're like showing around, you know, the scene, like everybody watching Amelia being taken away. And so they focus on different people in the circus and she is one of them and she is, yeah, the fortune teller. I had teller. no idea until you pointed it out to me and you showed it to me. I, did, I didn't know. I had no idea what she looked like. I remembered, like before I'd seen all the episodes, I remember hearing that she makes a cameo and then I just forgot about it. Oh. And then I was like, wait a second. That must be her, because, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I read an interview with her. She really did not want to do it, but they sort of insisted that she really? be in this I one. Really? I wonder why. Th- well, probably because there's a lot of extras in this one. Yeah, there are a lot. And plus, like, that's a really fun role. She yeah. lives with a wizard, so, like, her par- <laughs> her partner, yeah, in real life. Go, um, Carrie Greenwood. Her partner is a wizard, like a registered wizard. I don't know what Can one register is. it? Uh, okay. I, yes, I guess so. Registeredwizards.com. <laughs> But so she like really didn't want to do it. And they said, <laughs> they said, I was prettier than Hitchcock and I had to agree. So is anyone. <laughs> oh, poor Hitchcock. I just wanted to note Carrie Greenwood's cape in this. Yes. Is a map of the Southern Hemisphere. That's so cool. Dun, da, da, da. So like when it's around her shoulders, it's almost like half of a globe. It's like a, yeah. yeah. What is, there are things dangling off of it. What are those? That I didn't note. I was too busy looking yeah, at the map. I'm going to have to zoom in on it again and see. But yeah, she was talking about being an extra and how amazing it was to see this vision that she'd had of the circus be a real place yeah. that she could walk through and everything is as she wrote it. And that would be incredible. Makes me want to write a series of popular books so I can see them like, and I, in real I life. I love that they turned her into this like Antipodean fortune teller yeah. gal. I just, I love that. That's so great. And I, I have a thing for cameos. I love cameos. I, I love like Easter eggs in films mm-hmm. and you know Peter Jackson's another one that always makes a cameo oh really yeah oh yeah he always oh. makes a cameo uh, the Lord of the Rings films he's okay. got a cameo in all three and although <laughs> one of them I think gets cut from the theatrical release um but the other one is did you ever see the lovely bones no I read it I did not see I hated it. the book and hated the film I didn't even know that it was Peter Jackson that he was the director until I saw the cameo and I'm like that's Peter Jackson is this a Peter Jackson film? Why is, <laughs> Why else would he be? It must be a Peter Jackson oh, film. Weird. I looked it up and it's a Peter Jackson film, which huh. I guess I should have known because it really has all the hallmarks of a Peter Jackson film. But um, yeah, he's another big cameo guy. And Hitchcock's cameos were usually pretty funny. Like he'd be walking across the street or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I really like that. So I have an idea for a toast. Tell me what you think okay. of this. Um, I, I, think, I think really what this is all about is being different. And so the people who dare to be different. So... Maybe we should toast to all of those different people out there, to the to the bearded ladies, to the contortionists, to the, the geeks. And, you know, geek is a, originally a, it was the term for the man who ate everything. Right. An omnivore, like a crazy omnivore. So, and then they became kind of a circus freak, like watch him eat whatever. So mm-hmm. they're different too. So to all of these people who don't quite fit in the square pegs of the world, maybe we should toast to them. I think that's a great toast. So to being different. To being different. Cheers. Cheers.
angry Jack is hot. 